Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You may know me from VH1 Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen, VH1 Family Therapy with Dr. Jen, or The Dr. Jen Show, which I've hosted on other radio stations. I'm an author. I've written four different books, The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Six-Step Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy, Super Baby, 12 Ways to Give Your Child a Head Start in the First Three Years, The A to Z Guide to Raising Happy, Confident Kids, and Rockin' Babies, which is a children's book, which I co-wrote with my mom, Cynthia Weil. I also have a column in InStyle magazine called Hump Day with Dr. Jen, where I offer sex, love, and relationship advice. I'm a mother of twins, but most importantly, I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I am here to answer all of your questions. Feel free to email me all of your questions at askdrjen at drjenman.com, two ends on Jen, two ends on man, or post them on my social media at drjenman, D-R-J-E-N-N, M-A-N-N. Before I get into my first question, I want to talk a little bit about a topic that is coming up so much right now in my private practice and in talking with my friends, and that is conflicts that are occurring between couples all about COVID. And it is incredibly difficult to make a lot of these decisions that seem like they shouldn't be that difficult. Should we go to a barbecue at our friend's house? Is it okay to have a friend visit? Is it okay to visit a family member? Can we put the air conditioning on in the car? Do we need to wear a mask? Is it okay to go out to eat? You know, Dr. James did a great segment on his Instagram all about whether it's okay to go to a restaurant or not. How long do we need to wipe down groceries? I'm seeing so many couples have so many conflicts about this. And I think that a colleague of mine said it best when she described to me, she went for a walk around the block in her neighborhood and in a one block radius overheard two separate couples screaming at each other so loudly from their homes that it could be heard from the street. And to me, what that really speaks to is that couples are suffering and couples are having more conflicts than ever. We're under more stress than ever. And we're making these decisions that are very difficult and having a lot of power struggles. So I'm going to give you guys a little advice. The first is I always recommend defer, defer to the more conservative partner. 
In every couple, there's one person who's willing to take more risk than the other. And it's really important to defer to the one who is on the more conservative side, because God forbid something goes wrong. You don't want to be responsible for making that choice or having pressured your partner into doing something they really weren't comfortable with. The second is stay up on the science. I'm all about feelings, but these need to be science-based decisions and do the research together. Talk about it together. Come up with conclusions that, to the best of your knowledge, are safe. Three, assess the risk-reward ratio. Because assess the risk-reward ratio. There are times where a risk is minimal but scary enough to concern one or both of you, but the emotional payoff is so huge that it may be worth it. But either way, you always have to make those decisions together, looking at both of those sides of the equation. The fourth is seek to understand the need that the other person has. Sometimes we get so caught up in, are we going to do this thing or are we not? Are we going to go to the barbecue or not? But if we can understand what the need is underneath it, oh, my partner really needs to spend some time with her sister. Okay, well, let's see if we can figure out another way to do that that feels safer for both of us. And then the fifth is validate feelings. Feeling seen, heard, and understood goes a long way towards the creative process when it comes to a relationship. Just validating your partner's feeling. I know this is really hard on you because you're such a social person. Just being able to express to them that you recognize how uniquely difficult it is for them, given their psychology, given what you know about him or her is really important and can help bring you together as a couple during these very stressful times. Keep in mind that in these challenging times, these are an opportunity for us to up our game and improve our relationship skills. If you can be a patient, loving, mindful partner in a pandemic, you can do it anytime. And that translates forever. So just keep that in mind as you're going through this and just try not to get too triggered. Try not to be too reactive and just be patient with your partner and with yourself. Right now, children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and Radio.com have an easy way for you to help feed local students and their families. Text the word NEED to 76278 to give a buck and put, a food, put food in the mouths of hungry kids and their loved ones. Just $1 to make a big difference. Learn more about our Feed Our Families in our socials at wearechannelq.com. Coming up next, I'm answering a question from a woman whose boyfriend's open relationship went fatally wrong and is now dealing with some self-esteem issues that may actually be life or death issues. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I will be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on my social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. I'm going to start with a question from a listener who we're going to call Madison. And she writes me with a very interesting, complex situation. Here's what she says. My boyfriend's ex committed suicide. 
He feels it's his fault and he has made it his life to make it up to her through working with the Suicide Foundation. He has even started a musical event to honor her memory and raise money, all honorable, but it has made me resentful. They were in an open relationship where he was dating me also, and I remember the fighting between them, both and horrible things they would say to each other, even to the point where he told her to kill herself. It was just the comfort. It was just the comforter. I was just the comforter, but I never got in the way of their relationship. I kept it separate from mine and his. Now he's praised and tells the romantic version of their story together. It hurts my feelings and I'm just nowhere to be found in his life. Only when he takes me to amusement parks and enjoys my company, it's been like this for four years. Obviously, I'm someone who struggles with low self-esteem, and I have severe separation anxiety as an adult to the point where I want to kill myself. Can you give me advice on how to deal with separation anxiety? Is there going to come a time where he's going to leave me? Writing this, I know how it sounds, and the answers are obvious, but in my real-time, separation anxiety feels debilitating, and I've been going to therapy. Madison. First of all, Madison, I don't think anything sounds obvious. I think that you're in a lot of pain and you're in a terrible, tragic situation. It sounds like the relationship between your boyfriend and his now deceased girlfriend was incredibly toxic and verbally abusive at the very least. I can understand why he feels responsible after telling her to kill herself and she actually did kill herself. I think it's a really interesting side note that this guy seems to attract suicidal women. What is it about him that he seems to either like women who are in such a vulnerable, weakened state, or is he someone who's just so abusive that he ultimately brings people to a state where they're so clinically depressed that they think about killing themselves or even do? It sounds like you've never gotten your needs met with this guy. It sounds like when you were dating him, when he was still with his girlfriend, that you were helping him with his relationship struggles. You were there to comfort him when she died. And now four years later, you're still there and you're not getting your needs met. You've managed to attach yourself to a very unhealthy guy who has a lot of grieving to do and issues to work out. You talk about having low self-esteem and separation anxiety. I'm really, really glad that you're in therapy. You absolutely must address the underlying issues that got you here. Sometimes in therapy, it can be easy to get distracted by what's in front of you, your focus on this guy. But what you have to do is address the underlying issues that got you here. I would bet a whole lot of money that you've got some historical trauma that led you here, whether it's childhood trauma or something else that you went through. But I believe that there's an underlying issue that you've been attracted to and bonded so strongly with a guy who is such a mess and has a history of being so abusive and is treating you so poorly and meeting so few of your needs. And I think that what you need to do right now, in addition to working on your historical traumas and making the connection to help you understand why you have been drawn to such an unhealthy guy, you need to work on forming attachments with healthier people. I have no idea what your support system is like. I have a feeling if you had a great support system, you wouldn't be so emotionally dependent on this guy. 
So I would love to see you work on developing more of a support system. I know it's really hard in a pandemic, but the good news about that is that more people are using online, more people are FaceTiming. And I really would recommend that you work on focusing on your friendships right now. I would also recommend reading books about attachment, about self-esteem, about overcoming trauma, that that's where you want to put your energy on self-care, on healing. And people underestimate the power of bibliotherapy. Reading can be incredibly therapeutic, and also it can be a great tool in your therapy with your therapist. The goal needs to be to get you to the point where you don't want to be in this relationship. In this relationship, you are only getting crumbs of his love and attention, and you deserve more than that. You say that you want to kill yourself. I hope that you're talking about that with your therapist. If that is the case, that you really feel that way, please check yourself into a hospital or call a suicide hotline. Sometimes people want to kill their life. They want to kill their pain, but they don't necessarily really want to kill themselves. And I'm hoping that that's the case with you and that you have a great relationship with your therapist who is supporting you. But please do the underlying work that got you in a situation with someone who is really not worthy of you and who seems to be unable to meet your needs. Sliding into our DMs is brought to you by Trojan Condoms. It's a big, sexy world out there, and we want you to explore it with confidence. After this break, I'm going to talk to you about a new dating social phenomenon that's going to blow your mind. I know it blew my mind. And I'm going to answer a question from a listener whose boyfriend dumped her for the most unlikely reason. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. Jen Mann, sitting in for Chris here on Loveline on Channel Q. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on Mann. You can find information about how to email me your questions there as well. So there's a new term that's coming out of online dating right now. It's called woke fishing. Similar to being catfished, people are creating profiles on social media to make it seem like they're woke. They're posting pictures of rallies, acting like they support causes, pretending to support the Black Lives movements. People who are doing this pretend to be interested in social justice politics to lure someone in to get them to date them. Eventually, the truth of who they are and what they believe in comes out. In some cases, this results in feelings of hurt and betrayal. I mean, how could it not? And in others, they turn violent or abusive. Keep your eye out for this dating pitfall. Also know I'm going to be talking more this week about dating during a pandemic. Now for the next question of the night. This one, in this one, some exciting news takes a toll on the listener's relationships. So this person writes in, we're going to call her Jane Doe, and she says, I just got accepted into my master's program to be a marriage family therapist. By the way, congratulations. When I told my boyfriend, he dumped me. When I told my best friend, she told me that I'm not worthy enough to be in a relationship and that I'm only good enough to be in one night stands. 
My question is, and I sometimes wonder, if pursuing my dream is worth it, because in the end, I'm lonely. Oh, Jane Doe, I have so much to say to you. First of all, don't ever, ever question your dream. What you do need to question is the kinds of people that you've been hanging out with. Why are you spending so much time with people who don't celebrate your success, see your value, or treat you well? Keep in mind, you are the common denominator in all of this. We tend to surround ourselves with people who are reflections of how we feel about ourselves, and you don't seem to feel very good about yourself. That you would even question pursuing your dream so that you could keep people around you that treat you so poorly tells me everything that I need to know about your self-esteem. You know, there's a, a saying in AA that rejection is God's protection. And I think that this is one of those situations. I think that being rejected by a partner who doesn't support you pursuing your education and your dream, and your dream is to help other people. I mean, come on, like, this is actually a positive. This is the best thing that could ever happen to you. It is time to clean house. And you can't be with someone who doesn't support the best of you. And you pursuing this program is the best of you. And if someone feels threatened by that, then they are not the person for you. I remember many, many, many years ago, a few decades ago, when I was single and I was I was out on a date and I had gone on bad date after bad date after bad date. And I finally was on like the most amazing date where I just really connected with this guy and he was funny and he was handsome and we were having this incredible date. And at some point during the date, he started asking me about my career and what I was doing. And I was just about to start my PhD program. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me when he heard that and he said, and he had this accent. He was English. It was very sexy. And he said, oh, you're one of the smart girls. And I realized in that moment, he didn't want one of the smart girls. And well, it's a totally obnoxious things to say that if somehow someone's not in a master's program or a PhD program, they're not smart, obnoxious in that itself. So I dodged that speeding bullet. But what I realized in that moment that this guy who I was building up in my head over the course of this date as being possibly the one was clearly not the one. Because if he was threatened by what I was doing with my life and the things that were important to me, he was not the guy for me. And I got to tell you, Jane Doe, this is not the guy for you. You can do a whole lot better. You are better off without these people. And you're about to start a wonderful time in your new life. And you're going to learn so much about yourself in your new program. And you're going to meet like-minded people. Put your energy and your focus there. Fortunately, therapy school, when you're pursuing an MFT, it requires you to do your own personal therapy, being the client, and that's going to be really good for you. And I think it's important for you to really focus that therapy time in your individual work, looking at and exploring what it is about you that you're bringing in people into your life that are so critical and mean-spirited and don't support your dreams. That needs to be an important focus for you. 
try to connect with people in your new program as soon as possible. I think that you're going to find a wealth of wonderful people there that are have the same priorities as you, that care about the things that you care about, and that are going to support you in supporting your dreams. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline on Channel Q. After this break, I'm going to be answering a question from a listener whose husband is pressuring her to do something really unusual. And by the way, it's not a threesome. You may be thinking that, but it's not a threesome. And I have to tell you, in 30 years of doing therapy, this one was a first for me. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist. I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on Nan. You can find information about how to email me your questions so you can get some advice over there as well. So now I'm going to answer a question from a listener who we're going to call Sophie. And she writes me and she says, I've been married for 11 years now and I have two kids. I was pretty young, 21, when I got married and was pregnant with my first. So in the beginning, sex drive and energy were no problem. Obviously, as we get older and after all the BS you go through over time, we change. I'm not as energetic. I would rather spend time with my kids or do relaxing things over partying and drinking. I went through a whole partying phase from 14 to 21, believe me. Lately, I just have no sexual desire at all. Intimacy, actually, not even just sex. It's actually been this way for some years now, and I used to believe it was just from being tired and busy with kids and life. I don't even have the desire to pleasure myself at all, so I don't think it's an issue that I have with my husband. Any suggestions on how to get that back or what I should look into medically because it's causing severe marital issues and I don't want to just force it and fake it through sex. Okay, first of all, Sophie, you are way too young to have such a dramatic loss of libido. It's always important to rule out the medical. Talk to your gynecologist or your internist. Rule out any hormonal issues. Have them run a hormone panel. Check your thyroid, all that sort of stuff. Also, look at your medications. Keep in mind that medications like antidepressants, birth controls, antihistamines, blood pressure medication, hair growth medication, medical marijuana, anti-seizure drugs, opioids, painkillers, beta blockers, benzodiazepines, and cholesterol-lowering medications. And for men, also medication to treat enlarged prostates can all reduce libido. The fact that you don't want to masturbate points to a more pervasive problem. And we also have to look at, let's say we've ruled out the medical. You've met with your doctors and they say there's nothing medically going on. Here's what I want for you to look at. What are you doing to help yourself feel more sexual? It sounds like you've kind of spiraled into this negative sexual libido kind of spiral. We need to get back to basics. You know, typically what we tend to do at the beginning of a relationship to get ourselves in the mood, we don't even realize we're getting into the mood. So when we get ourselves ready for a date and we shave our legs and we put on the cute panties and the bras, all that sort of stuff creates a sense of anticipation for sex. It makes us feel more sexual. It makes us feel good about ourselves. And it gets us into the mind space. And we also tend to, when we're first dating our partners, we fantasize about the last sexual experience we had and how great it was. All these things get our juices flowing. 
So even if you're not feeling them organically, I'd like for you to start to take some of these behaviors and do them. Start to get yourself prepared as if you're going on a date and get your own juices flowing. The other thing is, when it comes to getting yourself in the mood, start reading some sexy books, take the time to fantasize, watch some movies or porn that get you hot. You know, the studies show that women who read romance novels actually have more sex. They have 74% more frequent sex and are more satisfied with sex than women who don't read erotica. And it's really important to do that. I'm a big fan of the Nancy Friday books. I recommend them all the time. She does collections of women's sexual fantasies. And I remember once years ago, I had a woman who called who's about your age in a similar situation who was saying to me that she had absolutely no desire for sex. And I told her every night, read one story from the book. Some of them may freak you out and they may just be too over the top for you, but there's something for everyone. It's kind of like a buffet and they're very short. And she said she started reading them every night before going to bed. And she called me back a couple months later and said that she was so horny that she was waking her husband up in the middle of the night to have sex. It had completely turned things around. So it's important that we take steps that we are proactive in recreating our libido and fanning the flames of desire. Then the other thing is you said in your letter something along the lines of that you don't want to just fake it and force it through sex. But you know what? You need to. Sex begets sex. When you don't have sex, the less sex you have, the less sex that you want. And it also actually lowers your hormone levels. For both men and women, we have testosterone. When you don't have sex for a while, your testosterone level drops. And since testosterone is a big contributor to sex drive, your level of desire goes down. So set a sex goal for yourself. Try making a commitment to have sex twice a week, maybe once with your partner and once by yourself for a month and see how you feel. See if that gets you going. I'm Dr. Jen Mann sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline on Channel Q. After this break, I'm going to be answering a question from a listener whose husband is pressuring her to do something really unusual. And it's not a threesome. You might think it's a threesome, but it's not. In 30 years of doing therapy, this was a first for me. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist. I'll be filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week long. I'll be answering your questions and offering advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. You can find information about how to email me your questions there as well. So I'm going to answer a really, really interesting email that I received. I've actually, in almost 30 years of being a therapist, I've never received an email or had someone ask me a question quite like this one. So here we go. This person writes and says, a few years ago, my husband really wanted us to go to the nude beach. I was really upset, pissed off, and really didn't want to do it. I couldn't understand why he would want to do that. Long story short, I finally agreed to go. Since then, we have visited a local nude resort where mostly we just hang out by the pool. I don't totally love it, but it's nice by the pool. The issue that we're having is that he gives me a hard time when I don't want to be nude or totally nude. For instance, our backyard. 
We have privacy fencing, but I still feel uncomfortable doing that. I'm not convinced that it's totally private. And he gets upset with me and says that it's private and that no one can see me. We don't have a pool, but I would like one. We do have a hot tub. And one day I was home from work, put on a swimsuit and went into the hot tub. When he asked me what I was wearing in the hot tub earlier, I told him that I had a swimsuit on. I told him I could hear the neighbors in the backyard working. He said, that's why we'll never get a pool, because you always hear something. So apparently, I only deserve a pool if I'm willing to be naked in the backyard at any time I use the pool. Well, I do appreciate the fact that he still likes looking at me naked at age 51 and 32 years of marriage. I do not like the fact that he feels like he has the right to keep bugging me and pressuring me about it. If I say that I don't want to or that I feel uncomfortable, I feel that he should drop it, but he always says, but I like it. He's a pretty good guy, but I feel that this is totally selfish and disrespectful. It upsets me that he doesn't seem to care that something makes me uncomfortable simply because he likes it. I've done a lot out of my comfort zone, like the nude beach and the nude resort, but it seems that it's never enough. I feel like once I've done something like going to the nude beach, he ups the game and wants something else. It leaves me feeling like he will never be satisfied. I would really love your input. How do I keep him happy without compromising what I feel comfortable with? How do I get him to understand that he's being disrespectful by bugging me to go nude when I'm uncomfortable or just don't want to, and that it's my body, so therefore my choice? He's bugging me. His bugging me just wants his bugging me just makes me want to pull back. I'm getting tired of defending myself. But I don't blame you. And this is a really interesting dynamic that the two of you have going on. I think you have a few things that are happening. First of all, I think the nudity thing has become a power struggle between you and your husband. And I can't help but wonder if the two of you are playing out something else in your marriage through this nudity issue. A lot of the time, couples struggle with power, they struggle with resentments, they struggle with various different feelings and issues in the relationship and play it out in one particular area. And I can't help but wonder if that might be what's going on here. The pressure and the conditions that he's putting on you, that you could only get a pool if you're naked outside, seem highly controlling and put unfair pressure on you to do something that you're really not comfortable with. You've already compromised by going to the nude beach with him. You And that should be enough. If you were in my office, I would be looking for other areas in your marriage where he's controlling like this. You may discover that there are other things that he's doing that are far more subtle. This is pretty blatant. You've said, I don't feel comfortable doing this. You've made a boundary. He has not respected it. You've compromised, you've been willing to do these things that he's asked you to, and yet it isn't enough. And like you said, he keeps moving the boundary. So I can't help but wonder if this is something that's happening in other areas of your relationship. These things don't tend to happen in a bubble. The way you describe the way the nudity bar keeps getting pushed further and further has a compulsive, addictive feel to it. I can't help but wonder what this is about for your husband, whether he's maybe had some kind of sexual trauma, whether this is a way to prevent emotional intimacy, whether it's a way to control you sexually, but it seems like a part of what he likes is pushing you to do something that makes you uncomfortable. And the fact that he is demanding that you do this, even when he's not there, 
also tells me that this is more about control and fantasy and other dynamics. One of the things you need to come to terms with is that you may not be able to make him happy without compromising what you are comfortable with. And you have to learn to tolerate him not getting what he wants and not being happy about it. I have a feeling that you're probably a bit of a people pleaser in this relationship and that part of the dynamic that typically gets played out with you guys is that he may want you to do something, you may not love it, but you ultimately compromise or give in to him and that you may be doing other things in the marriage that you're not comfortable with. I can understand how upsetting his pressuring is for you, and you may want to consider doing a few sessions of couples therapy with him, because if he can't hear it from you, if you're saying it over and over again and it's not landing, then sometimes it could be helpful to have a professional step in and spell it out to him in a way that he can hear better. Right now, children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and Radio.com have an easy way for you to help feed local students and their families. Text the word NEED to 76278 to get a buck and put food in the mouths of a hungry kid and their loved ones. Just $1 to make a big difference. Learn more about Feed Our Families on our socials and at WeAreChannelQ.com. I'm Dr. Jen Mann, sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline on Channel Q. After this break, I'm going to be answering a question from a listener who is at a crucial turning point with her relationship with her mother. You just might relate. Hey, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist. I'm filling in for Dr. Chris on Loveline all week while he is on vacation. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. I'm a licensed psychotherapist. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. You can find information about how to email me your questions there as well. So I got an interesting email from someone who we'll call Lisa who writes, first off, I appreciate all the work you do, especially when it comes to highlighting what therapists and therapy actually looks like compared to the past portrayals of the occupation. Thank you. Secondly, my question, how does one have a relationship with a parent who suffers with a personality disorder and who refuses to take any accountability of past trauma that the child, me, has experienced? I've tried using boundaries to stop the cycle, but now we are in the cold shoulder moment. I haven't had any contact for the past two years. I'm not sure how to have her in my life without losing my sanity and how to accept letting her go. Lisa. Okay, Lisa, I have a lot to say about this. You know, it sounds like you were very strong with your boundaries. When she didn't respect them, you made a very healthy decision not to speak with her. That sounds like really, really good self-care. But now you seem to want to have some contact with her, but are struggling to figure out if it's even possible to do that without falling into painful old patterns. Here's what you need to look at in order to make a healthy decision about that. First of all, she's shown you who she is. She's done that over and over again your entire life. 
you have to assume that nothing has changed in the last two years. It's unlikely that someone who does not take responsibility, like you described in your mom, has gotten herself into intensive therapy in order to do self-examination. It's also unlikely that she's had a lobotomy. So you have to assume that she is who she is and she's going to continue to be that same person. You know, there was that story in the crying game about the alligator and the frog and the frog wanted to cross the river and the alligator said, hey, jump on my nose and I will take you across the river. And the frog says, but you're an alligator. You're going to eat me. And the alligator says, no, I won't. Don't worry. Hop on. And the frog jumps on the alligator's nose and they start to cross the river. And at some point, the alligator opens its mouth and to eat the frog. And the frog says, why are you doing this? You told me you wouldn't do it. And the alligator says, because I'm an alligator. And you got to keep this in mind when it comes to your mom. She has shown you she's an alligator. Don't expect her to be anything else. The other thing is, in order for you to do this in a clear way, you really need to mourn the loss of the mother that you hope to have. She's never going to be that person. And if you don't grieve that loss, you're going to be going to her still hoping that she will be that mom. And that's going to result in pain and disappointment. Also, you have to assume that she's not going to respect your boundaries again. And you got to go in with an action plan in place for yourself. What are you going to do when she doesn't respect your boundaries? Notice, I didn't say if. I said when, because she's not going to. So it's going to have to fall on you to make those boundaries over and over again. If you're going to have contact with her moving forward, you need to limit it. You're probably best off keeping it very superficial, not discussing old childhood trauma with her. Figure out what it is that she has to offer you. Maybe she's great about fashion. You can talk about that or her movie selections are fabulous. Keep it superficial. I, I think that having a deeper relationship where you explore the issues with her is not to your benefit. And that leads me to the other thing, which is what I call panning for gold. That the best thing to do in these kind of situations, if you're going to choose to have a relationship with someone like her, is to, if you've ever seen the old movies where you see them pan for gold and they've got the sifter and they pick they scoop it up and there's dirt and there's gold and all the dirt falls to the bottom it falls to the the ground and then you're just left with the gold and that's what you have to do if you're going to have a relationship with her you need to look at what are the positives that she has to offer and hold on to those and you need to let the bad fall through and just let it go and not hold on to it keep in mind that if she abused you and continues to disrespect and hurt you, you should not have a relationship with her. To maintain that relationship invites more abuse. As a child, you did not have a choice, but as an adult, you get to pick who is in your life. Too often I hear people whose friends have told them, oh, you should have a relationship with an abusive parent. They will say things like, oh, but it's your mother, it's your father, they're blood, and you have to do that. But DNA does not give a person the right to abuse you. You always, always have the option and the right to step away if that person does not own his or her hurtful behavior, like your mom, 
that they don't make amends, that they don't work to develop new insight or change their behavior. You always have that right. And even if you choose to break this two-year silence with her and you give it a shot and you find it's not working, you can always go back. Sliding into our DMs is brought to you by Trojan Condoms. It's a big, sexy world out there, and we want you to explore it with confidence. I'm Dr. Jen Mann, sitting in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline on Channel Q. This is Loveline, and I am Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I am sitting in for Dr. Chris while he is on vacation. I'll be answering your questions and offering you advice. You can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. You can find information on how to email me your questions there as well. I want to share an email that I got from a listener named Kelly, who's having some problems with her boyfriend. She writes me and she says, I've been living with the funniest, loveliest man. We've been dating for four years, living together for two. I barely drink. However, he drinks every day after work. He says it relaxes him. He works hard all day. We usually watch some TV at night, and sometimes he has drank so much that I can tell. He muffles his words, not quite to the point of slurring, and has a slower reaction time. When this happens, it is a total turnoff to me. He's not mean. He's just kind of ick. He has tried one anti-anxiety drug and didn't like it because without his self-medication, he's a bit anxious. Do I accept this as how he self-medicates, just grin and bear the buzz, or do I nag him into stopping and trying a pharmaceutical? Okay, Callie, I think it's great that he knows he's self-medicating. That's a good step, and it sounds like he's tried to address it. So that's kind of the good news in this. But he really needs to address the underlying anxiety. He needs to do that in talk therapy. I think that people sometimes today are too quick to jump to trying a medication, and I think it's great that people are open to medication now. It used to be very taboo. But medication should only be tried after talk therapy, that we really want to try to address what's really happening, what's making him so anxious, help him to learn new tools, help him to develop himself as a person, and help him to address what's really happening. His drinking is a problem on many levels, and the fact that he's not learning any tools to help him deal with the anxiety is a really big problem to me. That we have to learn tools because, especially if you have any struggles with anxiety, it's going to come up at certain times in your life. We're in a pandemic. I'm sure he's that's heightened his anxiety. But the other thing with his nightly drinking is it's just not healthy. There's a lot of new evidence that daily drinking, even in moderation, can be bad for your health. There's a new Washington study that analyzed data for more than 400,000 people and found that consuming one to two drinks four or more times per week, which is the amount that they used to say was really healthy, they're now saying it increases the risk of premature death by 20%. Your boyfriend is checked out. Right now, there's no emotional intimacy. He's not slurring his words. He's, how do you describe it? He's muffling his words. He's kind of out of it. 
He's his reaction time is slower. There's no emotional intimacy. You can't connect with someone who's checked out like that. And over time, this will destroy your relationship. So it's got to be addressed. I do think that you need to talk to him in a gentle, loving way about making changes for his own good and for the good of the relationship. I always like the sandwich method where you start with something good and end with something good and kind of in the middle. That's where you deliver the difficult conversation part. So like maybe you tell him how wonderful he is, how lovely, how funny, how charming, all those great things that you mentioned. Then you address your concerns and to do it from a place of love and concern, not nagging and finger pointing. But this does need to be addressed for his own health, his own well-being, and for the sake of the relationship. I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm here on Loveline sitting in for Dr. Chris, and I'll be right back after this break. Hey there, I'm Dr. Jen Mann. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and I'm filling in for Dr. Chris while he's on vacation here on Loveline. I'm answering all of your questions. You can, of course, find me on social media at Dr. Jen Mann, two ends on Jen, two ends on man. Or you can send me your questions since I'm here all week. I would love to know what's on your mind and help you out, give you some advice. Just write me at askdrjen at drjenman.com. I've got a question from Paula, and this is something that many of you with mother-in-laws may relate to. She says, hi, Dr. Jen, I wanna ask you something. When you are married, who is top priority, the wife or the mother-in-law and why? Well, to be blunt and quick to the point, the answer is your wife. Your spouse, male or female, should always be the top priority when it comes to your family of origin. Before marriage, it's important and it's healthy to individuate from your family of origin. In other words, the mom and dad who raised you or you were born to or whoever those people are, or the mom and mom or the dad and dad, whoever they are, you have to individuate from them. And as you get older, you become more independent, you become more self-sufficient. And even though you're attached, and if you're lucky, you have great parents and you still love them and adore them, but your primary attachment needs to shift. That primary attachment is supposed to go to your new spouse and also any children that you bring into the world. Your spouse needs to be at the top of that pecking order. In order for a couple to thrive, they need to be unified. And a spouse should never have to compete with an in-law for their partner's love, attention, or affection. Prioritizing your spouse and the family you create is necessary for everyone to feel safe in that family unit. It sounds like your spouse is picking your mom for the way you phrase this question. And this, and I'm sure I don't have to tell you, this causes enormous conflict. It's very important to protect your relationship from what I call incoming missiles, people who are trying to get between you and your partner, people who are trying to harm the relationship or maybe speak badly of you or who are trying to suck time away from your family unit, who are being selfish about demanding the attention of and the time of your partner. It's really important to address that and to be unified as a couple in making those boundaries. 
Difficult in-laws, demanding ones, those that don't respect boundaries can put terrible pressure on a marriage. One of the things you do want to keep in mind in all of this is that you don't want to be disrespectful or create conflict with your mother-in-law. It sounds like you already have issues with her and that there are already conflicts. Take the high road. Don't give her ammo where she can then say to your spouse or partner, oh, she's such a biatch. She is doing this and doing that and saying terrible things about me. And she was rude to me. Take the high road and also help your partner to understand the importance of this. Maybe he or she needs to listen to the show. Maybe they need to read an article or to hear from a professional in a therapy room or maybe a religious leader in your life. But it is really important that you both get on the same page about who takes priority. Thank you so much for tuning into Loveline. You can catch me tomorrow and all week long filling in for Dr. Chris here on Loveline. Follow us on Instagram at Dr. Jen Mann and at Loveline. Also catch our podcast after every show on radio.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow night.